Lord, you are our Father in heaven. You have invited us into life with you, and you have made this possible by your forgiveness. You are teaching us that ours is the forgiveness religion. We confess our sin to you, and we are sorrowful. Through Jesus Christ, we accept your forgiveness to us, and we are grateful and free. We breathe in your forgiveness. We breathe out the voices of accusation. Toward others in our lives, we breathe in your forgiving love for them. We breathe out our bitterness toward them. Breathe in forgiveness. Breathe out bitterness. Good morning, everybody. When I think about the church, somehow this morning, it just feels like together. That's what it means. It's good to see so many familiar faces and so many new faces this morning. For those of you in the lodge or sitting out in the concourse or in the what will become the Hope Cafe, enjoying your egg sandwich this morning, um, it's good to see all of you here. I was struck, uh, for some reason, this service when Kaya was saying this class called The Gospel And, and um, I think it'll be really important and meaningful. It's the gospel and hope, the gospel in you. The gospel is not just a Sunday morning thing. It literally means the good news, and we live in a world that needs good news every day. So I'd encourage you to that. It's a little smaller venue. I love to listen to David teach and hear him teach. And so if you would like to do that, I'd encourage you to check it out. Another just sort of a pastoral moment, we mentioned Jeremy, if you were here at the very beginning of the service, who passed away this past week. Um, Jeremy had such a warm smile and a kind heart. This worship team that's faithfully singing this morning, we were here together uh, last night at seven o'clock just to grieve together, to pray together, and to say we want to continue to give the word as, as Jeremy would have us give it. Um, and the two uh, images that are sheared in my mind is right before our baptism service this past Tuesday, Jeremy, during the day was around the baptismal pool and, and getting it ready and uh, was just uh, tearing up about the opportunity to help people cross from death into new life. And the other memory is when he had that same warm smile, uh, but so kind heart, compassionate heart, when we were able to celebrate Christmas at the Altria. He was so excited that we could all be down there, and uh, we will miss him dearly. So um, why don't I say a word of prayer before we get into God's word? So Lord Jesus Christ, You know everybody's story that enters into this room, sitting in the cafe, watching online, wherever they are, Lord, you know their story. <clears throat> and so, Father, we pray that your word would become living and active in them through your Holy Spirit. 
that we would be present this morning, that you would help still the, quiet, the voices that preoccupy us. And Father, we pray that there might be a new relationship here begun today with you, but with each other too, that we might take time to be kind to one another and to encourage one another in a world that needs it. In Jesus' name, amen. So I've been married to my wife for 36 years now, and you would think I would have gotten it by now. Just a few days ago, Meg expressed a desire to get away. Not from me, (laughs) but with me. See, I was planning a study leave to a favorite place of mine up in Maine, and I was getting real excited. I had all kinds of plans. And then Meg, during a candlelight but casual dinner, said, hey, I, I think it'd be nice to join you. And uh, so she said, you know, you can get settled into the place, and then I'll go shopping and get some food for the week. And you know what the first thing out of my mouth was? Well, sweetheart, when I get away by myself, I like to buy Pop-Tarts. <laughs> and I don't know if you're going to go buy Pop-Tarts for me. What's wrong with me? (laughs) I mean, it was a moment for loving kindness, but I cared more about the artificial-flavored, strawberry-filled Pop-Tart, which is delicious, by the way, (laughs) than that moment in which I could have said, absolutely. See, I think I'm an expert in this life of missing the mark. Just not getting it right. And did you know that the word for sin in the Bible is exactly that? The nuance of the word in the Hebrew and even in the Greek is missing the mark or falling short. More importantly, I think it means missing intimacy with God and missing intimacy with one another. So I'm not suggesting that delicious strawberry-filled Pop-Tarts and selfishness are grievous sins if you enter into it. But I do know that we're all lost without forgiveness. Even as I say that, sometimes I feel like we, we, uh, we go into church speak. Oh, we're lost without forgiveness, and it kind of washes over you. But literally, we are lost. We don't know our way without forgiveness and the mercy of God. It seems that the whole world is pent up with anger. Now, we're moving forward because we have to do our jobs and we have to be with our families, but inside we're frustrated. And for those who don't know the light of Christ and the hope of Christ, even more so, there is a pent-up anger because we just can't seem to be getting it right. And maybe if we elect this new politician or do this new thing or get this new work, it will get better and we're pent up and we're living with a short fuse. So before I read this passage this morning, I want to share with you a confession. I don't really want to preach it. I want to make a few observations and let this psalm speak for itself. As we read, I want this psalm to be literally a dwelling place for you, not dispassionately listening, but it might become our own words to God. Psalm 51 feels like holy ground, which literally means set apart. Psalm 51 
is the opportunity to soften our hearts, to ask for forgiveness, and to forgive one another. Psalm 51 feels like a prayer from somebody completely ruined, lying in a puddle on the floor. And so preaching it to me, literally I was thinking about this this week, feels like dissecting a broken heart. And those waters are too deep for me. Psalm 51 feels vulnerable because it feels like us in our cries to God. Charles Spurgeon, who was called the Prince of Preachers in the 1800s, put Psalm 51 this way. Psalm 51 may be wept over, absorbed into the soul, and exhaled again in devotion, but commented on, the one attempting it can do no other than blush at defeat. This psalm was a prayer of forgiveness from King David. If you've been in church world, you know about this. This was a man who committed adultery. With a, with a woman named Bathsheba. And then when he found out that she was pregnant, he sent her husband to the front lines to be killed in battle, to cover his sin. I say it intentionally and slowly because this was a very dark sin whose only hope was the mercy of God. I was at a political event yesterday and people were talking about justice. And what um, one individual was said was no mercy. And I shuddered because I think I need mercy. And we all need mercy. How will we do this life without it? So let's listen to David's prayer for mercy in Psalm 51. And let's make it a dwelling place for us. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you were writing your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Please hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. And a prayer that many of us have prayed. Create in me a pure heart, O God. And renew a steadfast spirit within me. 
Do not cast me away from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. It feels like that song should be read from our knees. So I want to offer three things this morning to breathe in. Our need for forgiveness, our need for mercy, and our cry for recreation. We need forgiveness. Last weekend, my, my family was moving my father into a retirement community. Furniture built in the 60s is pretty heavy. So I called on a few friends to help me. Our senior pastor, David White, was one of them. It's why he's not preaching this morning. <laughs> but I'm sure he'll be fine by next week. You know, it's really tiring managing that many movers. But of course, carrying all that weight was more difficult for others. It kind of broke their backs. I share that to say that we carry a weight around that I sometimes think we don't understand. We, we feel it, but we're not sure where it comes from. We carry the threefold weight of sin in this world. There is a sin that we commit. There is a sin that's committed against us. And there is a sin that we read and see and experience as we watch the news in our world. No wonder we walk around with a dark cloud weighing us down, with pent-up anger. And we let very few people see it. Because we're fine. But we feel something. It takes a lot of grace and mercy to move that kind of weight. So before we start considering the forgiveness of perhaps for other people and maybe not for me or maybe kind of say, I I'm not gonna listen much to this because I know there's something in my heart I need to forgive. I wanna say as we lie in the dark before falling asleep at night, what battles are you winning? What battles are we losing? Frederick Buechner writes this about our need for forgiveness. We are churchgoers. We're nice people. We fight well camouflaged. We are snipers rather than bombardiers. Our weapons are more apt to be chilly silences than hot words. But our wars are no less real for all of that. The stakes are no less high. So what is our natural condition? We are made in the image of God and in our best days resplendent with his glory and, and showing his light to others and experiencing his light in our life. But we are also ruined. We don't go very many days when we realize our desperate need for God. We are selfish. We pick our way over loving other people. Our bodies start betraying us from the age of 30. We are infected by flu and COVID and cancer. We are kind to people's faces, but we speak ill of them behind their backs. We help one another, but we also hurt one another. 
We don't give one another the benefit of the doubt. We watch the news or listen to the news or hear of something and then we make our judgments and we pick our political parties and we become the smartest person in the room. This is the definition of what I call a broken world. And we need forgiveness. Dane Orland says, at one level, we who confess Christ quickly concede the reality of sin, but we profoundly underplay it. Nobody's perfect, we acknowledge. We all make mistakes. And while that's true, he goes on to say, but the problem is not that we're going in the right direction with occasional missteps. We are running in the wrong direction and leaving a lot of hurt people in our weight, and sometimes we don't even realize what we've said. In this broken world, whether you feel like you're in a really good place or in a hard place this morning, oh God, have mercy on us. And that is exactly what he does. That is the great hope of this psalm. Listen again to David's prayer in the beginning. It's the threefold power of God's love. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. He's crying out to God, calling on the name of God and all of his character and characteristics. And some of you might know that the word for unfailing love here in Psalm 51 is a powerful word in the Hebrew. It's called hesed. It's one word that includes the idea of kindness and devotion and faithfulness and goodness and mercy. And they're like, how do we, how do we describe God's love in one word? So the nuances of that word, hesed, is all of those things. Oh, God loves you. That means he's faithful, he's kind, he's merciful, he's compassionate. He does not count our sins against us. David and I reflected on this many years ago. You know what he counts? The psalm says he records our tears in this broken world, but he does not count or record our sins against us. And it's not just because of his gentle love, it's because he sent his son to die for our sins. A simple gospel message. In his book, Deeper, Ortland writes this, when Jesus loves, Jesus is Jesus. He is being true to himself, true to his innermost depths. Jesus doesn't have to work himself up to love us. He is a gorged river of love, pent up, ready to gush forth upon the most timid request for us. Oh God, have mercy on me. And why are we so timid or reluctant to receive God's love? We're tired. We're tired of going down that road again. Our places of brokenness are so deep. Our attempts to grit our teeth and open our hands again to the love of God, and for that matter, to love somebody who has hurt us, feels like the same cul-de-sac in life, and it's hard to want to forgive or even to be forgiven again. 
some of us can't afford any more vulnerability to that. And so we stay hidden. We are hurting. We are really hurting. (laughs) But then again, we need to be vulnerable because we feel so alone in that hurt and we need someone to know we're in a dark place. Sometimes I wonder if just one part of people wanting to end their life is the secret places of despair that makes their heart so sad and it feels like no hope. Church, friends, brothers and sisters, if you're new with us, please don't stay hidden. We're all vulnerable and we all need help. And know that the path of forgiveness is not one and done. Okay, I'm gonna ask for forgiveness, but I'm still feeling it. The Bible calls this a process of sanctification. That sometimes it's a process over a whole life before we believe that we are truly forgiven. In your tiredness and brokenness, God keeps reaching out to you. It's why we call it unfailing love. We may feel like this, but God in his forgiveness is your refuge. And might you breathe and know that you are under the shadow of his wings. And he will work in you and through you and with other people to bring you to this place of healing again. David refers to it this way. He touches you with a small brush, which was like a little plant of hyssop, that they would use to kind of paint things. He touches you with a small branch of hyssop that covers your sin. That's why the old song goes like this. See from his head, his hands, and his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down to you at the foot of the cross. This is the mercy of our God. His unfailing love and great compassion is strong enough to sustain you and blot out each line of condemnation in your story that the enemy tries to put in bold print. It is gone. That line of condemnation is not there anymore and sometimes it takes us a long time to believe that. David Paul Wilson in his devotional Take Heart writes this, your own inability to deal with your own habitual sins is God's mercy to you because it forces you to go to God for the help you need. I had to read that again when I read it. Like, wait, my sin is God's gift? No. My own inability to deal with sin is God's mercy to me because it forces me to go to him. I can't deal with it myself. And so every time we go to him, we receive his mercy again. And Psalm 51 is a cry from someone who had almost given up. And it can be our cry as well because it's never too late for you. And our cry is for this. Our cry is for recreation. That's our cry, isn't it? So right in the middle of Psalm 51 is a startling request from David to God. 
He says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. I feel alone. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit so I might get up tomorrow and do another day. But you know why it's a startling request from David to God? Because he says, create in me a new heart. That word create in the Hebrew is found for the first time in our Bible in Genesis chapter one. In the beginning, God created. It is the same word that David used. The word is bara. Barashith bara, Elohim. Elohim is God, bara is create. Barashith is in the beginning. Barashith bara, Elohim. In the beginning, God created. And he didn't create out of something that was already there and let me remold it and make it and make the earth and make the world and make you in my image. No, he made everything from nothing. Theologians call that ex nihilo. Out of nothing, he creates something. There is a power in that because David is saying, don't give me a reconditioned heart or a repaired heart because it is too broken to work. Bara in me, recreate in me. And again, I want to say it's a process, isn't it? But God recreates us in that way. Can you imagine the freedom of a new heart that beats for the one who created you and gives you hope? The Apostle Paul says it this way, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Ours is the forgiveness religion. Can you imagine a world where forgiveness is possible because the Son of God forgave us? I didn't mention it in the first sermon, but I was reflecting this past week on that word because I, I heard that old Beatles song. Imagine all the people. No heaven above us, no hell below. I'm like, it's not working for us, John. But imagine a world where forgiveness is possible because the Son of God forgave us. Can you imagine peace between a mother and a father, a sister and a brother, a friend or an enemy? God shines in our dark world when we offer forgiveness to one another. We are the forgiveness religion. Bara in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. We need forgiveness and we need recreation. It's a process, but it is possible. You know, when I have looked at all those sticky notes out there, and if you have been here in the first of this series on Breathe, David suggested, why don't we just not just show God our prayer request, but give it to him? And those are prayer requests or things like, oh, Lord, I need to trust you, or here's, here's my mother or brother or a sick one. I'm, gonna, I'm not gonna just show it to you. I will give it to you. And so people posted little words and put them up there. And so when I look at them, they, they may look like cries for help on the surface, but they're so colorful. 
And all of a sudden, this image of spring came to me this week as we give our request to God. In the long and cold winter of our hearts, maybe those little green and yellow and pink and orange and red notes can be the hope of spring in us because we've given it to God. Maybe we can be kinder to ourselves. And maybe we can be kinder to one another. Maybe just maybe we can drive back the darkness a little and make green places within ourselves of God's forgiveness and love. Psalm 51 is holy ground. It has now been preached, but it's more important for us to pray. Psalm 51 is our confession to a God of mercy and unfailing love. Church, let's repent our way forward and receive forgiveness from our God again. Barashith, Barah, Elohim. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Barah in me. And amen.